Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful day out. I'm actually headed back to Colorado, finished up my Minnesota trip. But we're going to talk a lot about Colorado today. You know, there's it doesn't seem like it because it kind of snuck up on us. Summer started late. We had wet, cool weather all the way through June pretty much. We got a little bit of uh, monsoon rain action. We're getting some warm weather now, but we're already starting to see the nights cool off, especially in the high country. And the water levels, the flows, the availability of water to wildlife is going to affect fishing, hunting, our habitat, our streams. And we're going to talk a lot about the different effects it's going to have uh, during the course of the show today, both on fishing and on hunting. And then we'll talk a little bit about some things going on at state parks. You know, some of the lakes at the Colorado State Parks have as much water as I've ever seen for this time of the year. So we've got a lot to cover. Let's start out by going right to the phones. And joining us from the Blue Quill Angler is Chris Steinbeck. Good morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And is, have you agree with what I said, that the amount of water we saw this year, now there's some detrimental effects we've had, too, and you and I will talk about that in a minute, but it's really changed everything from last year. I, ha- I haven't seen anything like it. Um, it's been, you know, going back to the good winter we had, the good spring, and like you said, the the rain early in the summer. Um it's a great position to be in compared to the last couple of years. You drive up to any reservoir or river, you drive by different lakes, and you see, like you mentioned, everything is filled to the brim, and it's so good to see compared to the last couple of years. Um, Not- and everything's so beautiful still, so, so green up in mountains. Yeah, it really is. Let's. Uh, there is a little bit, there is a little negative. We're going to talk a lot about the great bites that are going on, but we did get some mudslide action on the plat. Why don't you tell folks what happened there? You bet. And if you guys haven't heard, we had a um, we had heavy rain a few weeks back, and it flooded out uh, Cheeseman Canyon. We had um, some really good dirt slides and mud slides with sediment and that pulverized granite into the river. Um, that was one storm. You know, everybody's been here. They've seen the monsoon rains. And that afternoon, that rain started at 4 o'clock, and they got two and a half inches of rain within an hour. And because we've had so much rain lately, the ground's been so saturated. And so it didn't take much to start flooding out. And um, for those that have heard, uh, Cheeseman did take a hit. You know, um, that river's seen flooding in the past. We've been here. We've seen this before. Um, It's a little sad to see it because it's going to change the dynamics of how Cheeseman Canyon fishes for the fly fishermen. Um, Right now, we're trying to advise people, you know, that you can go in there. You can see fish. We've walked it since the floods. We've seen kind of what happened. Um, but we're trying to rest it as much as we can. That fishery's just been through so much, and those fish have been through a culture shock. Um, listen, I'm sure if you're fishing, you can go up there and probably find a few fish, no problem. But we're just trying to rest and try to do our best for that particular resource right now. Well, and that flooded area was a result of what, what happened years ago, the, the burn scar from the Hayman fire, I believe. Is that right? That's exactly right. You look at where some of the major slides happened in Cheeseman, and if you look up the hill, you could see the fire scars 20 years ago that 
are still coming down the canyon. It's a, we're still dealing with it, you know? Um, and as sad as it is, you know, it's, it's a very resilient river. It's going to bounce back. Um, but there's going to be runs that are going to be changed pretty much forever. A lot of the filling, um, and what happens on these floods and this, um, the slides is you get a lot of sediment in the river that covers the cobble on the bottom of the river that smothers the bugs that the fish eat. And so some of the effects, you know, might be some months before we see the exact results of what happened. Um, but yeah, what I said, we've been here before. We've seen this. It's, uh, yeah, just a sad event when you see it happen that fast. Hopefully we'll get to see enough water flow through. We can scour some of that out of there and it'll recover pretty quickly, but let's switch gears. There is a lot positive going on. Boy, a lot of active fishing areas. Let's talk. What are you seeing out there? Oh man, this is like, this is such a good time to be out there. Um, all over the place. Uh, the local waters are fishing good. Most every river shed, you know, the Arkansas is fishing really, really good. The Colorado river's fishing really good. Um, a lot of um, a lot of our big bugs are out. This is we call August. This is the heart of our terrestrial season. Um, our grasshopper season and ants and beetles and um, so we're throwing a lot of those bigger dry flies out on the rivers. Um, the caddis hatches we're getting are still really really strong on most rivers and um, it's just a great time to be out there. The flows are really strong. The water's cold in most rivers and. Um, yeah, well, you have pretty much a lot of options available to you, whether you're conventional or a fly angler right now. Well, you talked about flows. Last year at this time, we were so concerned about many, many of the rivers in Colorado and the stress on the fish. Now, there's always going to be a spot or two where it might get a little warm, but for the most part, statewide, the fish are healthy, they're happy, the water's cool, it's already starting to cool off at night, we still have good flows. There's very few areas that uh, aren't available and, and aren't good to fish, and, uh, you know, you can go to your favorite river almost. Anything that you're seeing that you might avoid a little bit because of temperature? The, um, the only section I would say just to keep your caution on is the dream stream, um, right below spinny. Um, the dream stream with the lower flows can get pretty hot this time of year. Um, but most other rivers probably shouldn't have to worry about it too much, which is such a great change after the last couple of years. Now you mentioned the Colorado and the Arkansas, which both are well known for their float trips, but they offer walkway to access too. Uh, what are you? How are you approaching those rivers? Are you floating them? Are you walking them? Waiting them? I'm walking and waiting them. Floating is a great option too. Um, I like going in on foot. And um, what's fun about this time of year is a lot of the fish are near the banks. And so you don't need to cast too far in the middle of the river and wade into like a dangerous situation. Um, on the Arkansas, head up near Granite, head all the way up near Leadville on the Hayden Meadow section, which is right below the town of Leadville. The river's much smaller up there, a little easier access for the angler. And, uh, and it's dry fly paradise up there right now. Um, throwing big hopper patterns, big stimulators, big attractor dry flies. Um, and very similar on the Colorado. The further down you make it on the Colorado, it becomes a little harder to walk away just because the access is pretty deep off the banks. But if you go higher up on the Colorado, up near Kremling and even higher up near Partial, those are great walk weight opportunities for anglers. And um, the fishing right now is you're going to see a few mosquitoes on the upper Colorado. But once you get in the river, they kind of leave you alone. And, uh, and you have just 
unbelievably good opportunities right now. You can get away from some of the heavy crowds making that drive up to the Colorado. And um, and for the next few months, it's going to be fishing great up there. It's going to be so many opportunities for us. Yeah, we'll transition kind of out of the hoppers but into the streamer stage for those two rivers especially <coughs> excuse me because of the browns let's talk a little bit about hopper dropper and hopper and dry, dry dropper um or two dry flies you know we talk a lot and kid a lot on the show about how much i love drop hopper dropper fishing because i love the big bugs i love that i don't have to be as precise on my cast because i don't spend as much time on the rivers i used to i'm doing all kinds of different kinds of fishing and you can splash a little bit but and then you can you don't have to be necessarily as selective it can help on the following fly do you you know that that's it you, like you want that fly to plop you know and you want to cover some water and you don't have to worry about being very precise with the presentation and and this time of year throw a dropper that it, it doesn't have to be specific on the dropper they're pretty hungry fish right now which makes it fun um, a lot of times on that dropper, throw a beadhead fly, something that's got a little weight associated in the fly itself. And uh, whether it's a pheasant tail or hare's ear or a copper john, those are all great options for a dropper. And if you tie that about 18 inches, two feet off of the shank of the hook, it's perfect. Um, and, and it's fun because you could cover the top, you cover the bottom, and the hits you get on top right now are just like normal fishing, top water fishing, so much fun. Dry fly fishing for us is what we wait all winter, what I think about all winter doing. And so it's fun that it's here, and now we're just going to try to take advantage why we have a really good water and a really good summer here. Well, and we've got tremendous crop, I guess you could say, of hoppers because we got all this underbrush and growth. The hoppers are everywhere. They're they're healthy, and we've had some wind. You get a little bit of breeze. You know, I'm not one that loves to cast in the wind, but you get a little wind blowing those hoppers into the water, and those trout are on alert. They're looking for it. Do you ever follow it with a second dry instead of a instead of a nymph? Yeah, I do sometimes, and like. You'll get to some rivers where you'll see some caddis near the edges, and caddis look like little, small, little tan moths you'll see near the willows. And a lot of times, if you tie that caddis a couple feet behind that hopper, sometimes the caddis is hard to see, especially in vast water. But if you throw that big hopper first, you can see that hopper easily, and then that caddis dry fly a couple feet behind it, you might not see it as well, but you'll see the rise around your hopper and be able to set the hook. And... It's a great way to do it. Um, a lot of times, Terry, if I do that, I'll see a lot of fish naturally rising on the surface. And if I see that, that's why I'm going to throw two dry flies. And if I get to the river and I'm really not seeing them rise to the surface, that's when I'm going to put the dropper on and probably stick to a hopper at more of a tractor, like falling off the willows. And I love how you mentioned the wind. Because in fly fishing, so many people shy away during those windy days. Well, the wind, you could use it to your advantage because, like you said, it's blowing the natural hoppers in the water. And that's even less you have to worry about having a soft cast. And those fish are looking up and um, don't shy away from the wind. If you see a windy day, if you're there, put a hopper on and have fun. And one one place we didn't even mention that <clears throat> I love to do, I don't live that far from Rocky Mountain National Park. And you get up to some of the the alpine streams, the high country areas. And yeah. it's amazing, it's amazing if you get a hopper or a Chernobyl ant or a beetle 
into these little pocket waters, what will come out of one of those little pockets and eat a fly that's so big you can't think they can get it in its mouth. It's just it's a blast. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Uh, how are you guys how are you guys how are you guys doing for trips at the Blue Quill? Um if somebody wanted to book a trip for you, uh, how how far in advance do they have to get a hold of you? We have great guides on our staff. We can take advantage of someone who wants to go fish in a couple of days. You don't have to call that far in advance. Um, we, we're running some high-quality guide trips right now. We're catching some sweet fish all over the state. Um, now's a great time to do it. And, and like I said, we'll be running our guides heavily all the way through October this year. And we're anticipating such a great fall and the end of the summer here. Um, and so if you're interested... Call us up at the shop, and we'll happy to set you up with a guide, and the guide can teach you how to fish different rivers a little bit better. Or if it's a river you've never fished and you want to learn, a guide is a great resource just to kind of shorten the learning curve up a little bit and uh, kind of learn the nuances of that section of river. Yeah, you know, you're so right that you can learn. You can watch the videos. You can read the books. You can do all that. But if you really want to learn the nuances the quickest way to advance your techniques is to spend some time on the river with a guide, somebody who's going to dedicate their time to you, not just a fishing buddy, but they're going to dedicate the time. They're a professional. They're going to really help you get through it. And speaking of those type of things, you guys, do you have a lot of classes coming up at the Blue Quill? We do. We do. Thank you for asking. We run... We have an intro class, which is perfect for anybody who's really been interested in learning how to fly fish but really hasn't quite taken that jump yet. We run such a great class. It's every single week. You have to call, sign up for the class, but it entails a Thursday night in our shop where you learn how to cast, you learn how to set your rod up, and then on Saturday, the next Saturday, you go all day on the river with your guide. And you learn the nuances of throwing dry flies or dry droppers and nymph rigs. And you learn all those details. And, and for those that, you know, maybe I don't want to go through a two-day class, you don't have to have any experience to go with a guide either. And the guide can teach you right there on the river. Um, it's not as in-depth learning as what you would learn in the class, but it's a good way of saying, okay, is fly fishing something I really want to get into? Is it something I'm really going to love doing? Um, and we provide all the equipment you would need, um, the waders, the, right. the rods, all the flies and everything. All right, my friend, we're out of time. If people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Guys, call us here at the shop at 303-674-4700. Could be any question on fly fishing or what flies to use or different public access points. Or look us up online at bluequillangler.com and social media at bluequillangler. And we're always happy to help, and there's no questions at are too small and fly fishing. So call us up. We're always happy to hop on the phone and talk to you. All right, Chris, we got to go. Thank you so much. Good luck on the water. Hey, thank you, too. You have a good, safe travel back here. All right, that's Chris Steinbeck from the Blue Quail Angle. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, a good friend of the show has just had a change in her position, and we're going to talk about that and so much more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the Front Range, even in Cheyenne. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, just stop in and kick the tires a little bit. You'll be pleasantly surprised what they have to offer. <clears throat> Let's go to the phones. Joining us, 
She's been a friend of the show for a long time, longtime manager at Bar Lake Reservoir, Michelle Siebert. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing fine, and I think congratulations are in order. You're you're moving on up, as they say. I am. I am the new park manager at Cherry Creek State Park. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations for sure. We know you're going to do a great job because we know what you've done at Bar Lake, your interaction with the public, with the outdoor community. Um, you've developed partnerships. Um, we're excited. Are you starting to form a vision of Cherry Creek and what you'd like to see happen there? You know, I've, I've spent some days there the past couple of weeks, and the team is coming up with some great ideas. And, you know, we're just here to be a part of the community as well. So, so it's just, it's obviously almost everybody in the Front Range knows where Cherry Creek Reservoir is. It's the heart of a metropolitan area. Now, Bar Lake was close to to Denver, but Cherry Creek is right in the heart of the metropolitan area. <clears throat> Will that require a little different management philosophy? You know, there's a few more visitors that go to Cherry Creek, so it's going to be a little bit different. But I think the key is, you know, we have a great team there. We're a part of a great community in the city of Aurora and Arapahoe County. And we, you know, ultimately our goal of Colorado Parks and Wildlife is to to get people outside and educate and protect our resources. So I'm excited um, for the new opportunity. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you got coming up, some projects. There is one thing we should advise you guys. We've been talking about how great it was, the amount of water we got this year, but Cherry Creek got a little inundated. Tell us some of the things that are maybe in a little disrepair right at the minute. Yeah, so um, we still have the main perimeter road that's closed. Um, that project um, is going to go out to bid here this next week, so it'll, it'll be fixed this fall. So you can't go from the east to the west. Um, we are um, starting some trail work very soon as well. So you can look at the website or our Facebook and we'll give updates. But the best thing is, you know, we did get a lot of water and um, we'll make these improvements so that it'll be even better for the next time. Why don't you describe, you know, we don't put have Cherry Creek on the air that often. We kind of assume people know about it. But why don't you describe the park, the amenities, the concessions, what's available there? Yeah, so it's right in the heart of Aurora, so right off of Parker Road in 225, pretty much. Um, you know, there are there's great nature areas. We have a campground. We have a dog-off leash area, so that's Cherry Creek and Chatfield have that. Um, we have the swim beach area, some of the concessions that we have. We have a wonderful marina, a shooting center. Um, we have, what else do we have out there? Um, the marina's horseback rental I almost forgot that on the southern in there we have horseback rentals so you know if you just want a quick a quick trip and a quick nature fix Cherry Creek is where you can go um, for camping you, you have to make reservations because it's a very busy place but um, you know there's lots of things that you can do at Cherry Creek and we have some great exciting events coming up as well well tell us about some of those events yeah so we have a photo contest um, you can enter those great photos um, and you can find out about it on our website, um, enter before the end of September. Then on Labor Day weekend, because it's kind of like the end of summer, on Saturday the 3rd, we're going to have an event down at the Swim Beach from 10 to 2. We'll have a live raptor program, and then we're promoting boating safety. So we'll have kids, uh, free kids' T-shirts and just getting people to um, understand that life jackets float. You don't. So we want everyone to be safe when they're recreating out there. 
And then on October 21st, we have a trunk or treat from 2 to 4. So you can bring the family out and trick or treat, but you can find out about all these events on our Facebook and website. Yep, a lot going on. Also, I think you have a project. Is there a new swim beach building going in? Oh, yes, this is wonderful. So it'll be complete by the um, the next summer, but we're having a new swim beach building. Um, it'll have new restrooms, and it'll even have an education room. So it's really exciting to think about the opportunities there and the opportunities to engage our partners in our community. So look for that to be done the middle of next summer. So you'll see signs and, and demolition of the old building, but it's really exciting to see new buildings coming up at Cherry Creek. Now, speaking of uh, partners in the community, you were a champion at Bar Lake of getting the affinity groups, the community of Brighton, uh, getting prominent people in the outdoor industry to really work with you to put on programs and to enhance the experience at the park. Are you working to that same end here at Cherry Creek? Yes, of course. Um, I already met with um, the Aurora Chamber of Commerce this past week and you know we're looking at partners with partnering with them they have a lot of different committees um from working with veterans to working with other businesses so we really want to engage the the community because it's it's their park too so we want to make sure that we let people know what they can come and do and what they can be a part of whether it's an education program or even a volunteer project you know the only thing i can say michelle is you could get a little enthusiastic about this (laughs) I'm very excited. Go ahead. Yeah, has been my home for the past 15 years, and it'll hold a special place in my heart. Um, But I'm excited for the new opportunity and challenges. Well, one thing you've always brought to this show, to your job, to the public, is your enthusiasm for making the experience at the parks you manage uh, an incredible experience. And we're sure you're going to do the same thing at Cherry Creek Park. I know you're going back and forth right now between the two. When will you be full-time at Cherry Creek? Um, probably towards the end of September. I'm going to help out with some events here at Bar Lake. Um, I think I'll even be on the show next week um, to promote the Fall Birding Festival for Bar Lake. Okay. And do we, can we look for any, any little hidden gems you might not have let out of the bag that might be coming to Cherry Creek, or is that all top secret yet? That's still top secret. we got to keep something secret, Terry. Okay. Well, Michelle, <laughs> congratulations, and, th- and thank you for being such a great partner to the show. We know you're going to do a great job at Cherry Creek, and the experience is only going to get better there. Then congratulations again, and thanks for calling in today. Thank you, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. Michelle Siebert, now the new park manager at Cherry Creek. And I'll tell you what, folks, we, we kid her a little bit, a lot about her enthusiasm, but she cares. I am very uh, enthusiastic myself that she's going to do some things with that's going to bring Cherry Creek to another level. Cherry Creek probably needed to have an upgrade, and uh, it needs some change. And I think we're all going to benefit from it. I tell you what, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to go to another state park that I think the water levels there right now are just going to amaze you. That and so much more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear, you know, with locations in Fort Collins, Loveland, Broomfield, Cheyenne, Lafayette, 
When I need outdoor gear, my first stop is a Jack's Outdoor Gear store. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Jackson Lake State Park is Darby Shanks. Good morning, Darby. Good morning. How are you? How's the weather out at Jackson Lake State Park today? It is hot already at, you know, 9.30 in the morning. Um, it is it is decent, though. We don't have very much wind at all, which is nice. I think there's a little breeze, so that helps. Um, but there's not much uh, going on too much yet. Um, so it'll be a great day to be out at the lake. It, oh, it certainly would. And speaking of the lake, we talked earlier in the week, and you told me the lake is virtually full. Is that right? It is virtually full. Um, I imagine we're only a couple inches down from being full. Um, the irrigation company has just started to release a little bit of water. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll stay full probably through the end of October is probably the forecast that we're looking at right now. So hopefully, you know, coming into fall here in about a month and a half or whatever, um, we hopefully will have some good fishing going on then. Well, and, you know, you look at the kind of activities that Jackson Lake State Park provides, and it's a shallow lake with a lot of sand. And when the water does drop, you do have a great beach. I imagine a lot of that's underwater right now. But also, you're speaking of the warm weather you're getting there right now. Somebody looking for that last maybe boating outing and swimming outing, camping with the kids before school. What a great place to go. I mean, and I don't know if people even understand. Why don't you describe the park a little? Okay, sure. We're about, first of all, we're about about 60 miles outside of the Denver area. We're northeast of there along Interstate 76. We lie about 10 miles north of Interstate 76 off of Highway, or Exit 66, my bad. Um, we have about, when we're full, we're about 2,600 acre feet of water. So in reference, take about a two-mile stretch by a two-mile stretch box, but it's not a box shape, of course, lake. But that's about the, the span of the reservoir when we are full. So it is a good-sized lake for uh, recreating, for sure, um, fishing. Um, there's a lot of uh, jet skiing and uh, wakeboarding out here at this lake. So, And then we have about six different campgrounds that hold about 241 campsites, which were normally booked every weekend uh, during the summer. Um, so we're still busy going into, you know, even with school starting, we are still very busy with um, our sites here. And so, like, this year, of course, our one campground that was all non-electric, which was Fox Hills, is now all electric. So um, that's what a lot of people are looking for. We do have water available here, and our um, campground uh, shower buildings are still open for the season. And But here in about, you know, the end of September, they will start closing as we just don't have the manpower to keep those open and so forth, so... But what a great, you talked about the warm weather and the water temperature is still going to be warm if the kids want to get in the lake. It's a great lake to get into also because it's shallow and you can wade out in the sandy, right? Yeah, right now, I mean, with it's pretty warm out there. I bet it's the surface temperature. I bet it's, last I knew it was about 73, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's still up there um, with our warm temperatures that we've had out here because we've been up in the 90s, almost 100s. I think 100s are supposed to be getting this week coming up. So, um, But just forewarn everybody, I mean, we do have the green algae out here. So it's the non-toxic green algae. And, yes, we have been testing for the blue-green algae, but they have been coming back negative. Um, so, But if something does pop up, we'll, of course, put that on our website and stuff like that. But right now, everything is good. You'll just see a lot of green algae out here.
if you do come swimming or boating. So the other thing you you mentioned, we mentioned fishing. How has the fishing been at the lake this summer? It has flowed, of course, during the summer with the warmer temperatures. Uh, It was pretty good back in May and in June with, you know, our wonderful weather that we had at that time. It stayed a lot cooler. Um, but it did kind of shut off. I mean, you'll every once in a while, you know, I've heard wipers, you know, you'll every once in a while catch, but nothing like a lot of them. Um, I haven't heard a lot of, about a walleye action with this, with these warm temperatures or anything about crappie. Um, and I haven't heard if anybody's been trying, uh, going after those channel catfish, but so hopefully, you know, when it starts to cool off here coming in September, we hope, right. And then into October, they will start dropping temperatures. So I, I just, I hope it, it turns up a little bit for our fishing. I mean, there's plenty of fish out there. We know that. It's just catching them. All right. Another another thing that you guys offer as we get into the fall, our hunting seasons are right around the corner. You have access from the park for quite a bit of hunting, don't you? We do. So basically, we do only small game and waterfowl here, and there's limited areas. And we are also adjacent to two wildlife areas, which is one is Andrake State Wildlife Area and then Jackson Lake State Wildlife Area that's on the northeast corner of the lake. Um, There will be ponds at both of those locations. Um, As far as I know right now, um, it's a little early, but I believe they'll start filling the Jackson Lake State Wildlife Areas. Um, Those ponds up here probably, I don't know if it's in the next week, which takes time, of course, to get them all filled up for teal season. And then Andrake, it's a different kind of uh, wildlife area, but with all the uh, rain we've had out in the area, most of those ponds have stayed relatively full. So this might be the first time going in for quite a while that Andrick, all the ponds will most likely be, you know, will have water. Um, not necessarily all of them will be totally full, but, um, but they'll have water, which is good because, you know, a lot of people like to come out here and hunt those little ponds. And then, of course, on the Jackson Lake State Park, we're not sure if our ponds will be filled or yet or not. We're trying to get some clarity on that. Uh, the Ducks Unlimited was supposed to be doing a project on our two ponds that were north of Northview Campground. Um, so I don't know what the status will be yet, um, if they will be filled um, or not this coming up. But hopefully we'll have an answer within the week. So people can always call us here at the State Park office, and we would gladly answer those questions when we find out those answers. And then also we do allow shoreline hunting, sorry, um, along some of our campgrounds when they close, which doesn't happen until October 1st, though. All right. So there are quite a few opportunities there. Last thing I want to talk to you about is your dark sky certification. I'm just returning from a trip to Minnesota where I was staying at some fairly remote areas on the north shore of Lake Superior and in north central Minnesota on a lake. And... I live in the suburbs of Fort Collins, and the city lights blur out a lot of the stars. You forget how many stars and planets that go on forever you can see. And these weren't even dark sky certified, but you have a great viewing experience, and you even put on events in conjunction with it. We do. Um, We just had one last weekend, and we have one more coming up in uh, September, which is September 16th. Um, we'll have it in our Northview campground once again. 
Um, and anybody's welcome to come. Uh, this group that comes out is from the uh, Northern Astronomical Group Society, which is kind of based out of the Fort Collins area. But they're they're pretty much a group of uh, gentlemen that get together. They bring their own telescopes, um, and they're a variety of different telescopes. And they allow us to look through their telescopes for free. And they are the experts of the sky to me because they know so much about the open clusters and closed clusters. And you can see the Milky Way here. And then they get into, you know, if there's planets, they'll they'll describe everything. And, you know, to me, always seeing the moons around uh, Jupiter or Saturn, you know, if they're in the viewing at that night is so awesome because you can't see it. Sometimes you can't see those with your naked eye. So it's kind of neat. And then uh, we'll have that posted on our website of the times. And, again, the only thing that you have to have is a, the entrance into the park to come in and, and view that. And if you're camping, you're more than welcome to come to any of our intern programs that we have on the weekend. And it's open to the public as well. And then I just want to put uh, one more thing out there. We still have that Dutch oven and chili cook-off coming up at the end of September as well. So that will be happening in our Lakeview campground. And so that. You know, people are still, if they want to participate, they just need to reach out to me here at the park. I do have a couple slots still open, but we are, it's gearing up for sure. And, you know, it is free to the spectators as well. They just have to have the entrance pass into the park. And free tasting will be happening at that time around, I'd say, 4 to 4.30. And then, you know, but it's welcome. I mean, we have seven different categories for that. So um, I'm excited to see how this happens. All right. A lot's going on out there. Great place for people to uh, still being enjoying their outdoor activities well into the fall with the great resources you have out there. Darby, thanks for joining us and appreciate your enthusiasm and what you do out there. Yeah, thank you and have a great day. You bet. Darby Shanks from Jackson Lake State Park. We'll take a quick time out and we come back. We're going to change things up and talk about an organization that if you're a sportsman, you may want to help find ways to support this organization. All that and more coming up in Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and... Joining us from Colorado Responsible Wildlife Management is Dan Gates. Good morning, Dan. Hello, Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing great this morning. Hey, you know, we want to kind of introduce your organization, uh, Colorado Responsible Wildlife Management. But first, tell us a little bit about Dan Gates. What are you involved in? Well, Terry, I appreciate the opportunity today. Um, I'm a uh, lifelong sportsman and got involved in a bunch of different conservation things at an early age and run a wildlife control business uh, solving human-animal conflicts. And how that translates into what we do for a recreational component, we saw a need dozens and dozens of years ago to participate at a broader level. And about six years ago, we formulated another organization uh, called the Coloradoans for Responsible Wildlife Management. And we, we did that. Uh, because of all the work that we were doing on the ground, what we were trying to do collaboratively with other organizations that people might recognize, the other acronym groups, you know, RMEF and NWTF and MDF. And, and we, we, we found a need, and we provided lobbying representation at the Capitol, 
and we're the only group to do so on behalf of sportsmen and women and conservation efforts. And um, we're just trying to do what's right by the North American model of wildlife conservation. Now, when you say the North American model, a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of hunters and anglers do, but even a lot of them don't understand. Why don't you kind of explain what the North American model is to the listeners? The North American model of wildlife conservation is is seven tenants that were established uh, for guidelines about responsible wildlife management and stewardship on the landscape. You know, we've been managing wildlife in the United States and North America as a whole for the last 125 years on the principles that were established by guys like Teddy Roosevelt and Pinchot and Giffard and those guys. And, and they set the standards for what we are today because what wasn't happening in the late 1800s and early 1900s needed to be brought to the forefront. And groups like the Pope and Young Club and Boone and Crockett and so forth, they helped establish some of the guidelines that we live by today that are under attack and assault not only by our adversaries, but by the unknowing individuals that think that they, they participate uh, from a wildlife management perspective, from a stewardship perspective. And it's necessary to educate not only the non-hunter, but the sportsman as well. And what are those tenants that, how does the uh, North American model work? It's the hunters and, and anglers really that financially support the conservation, right? It's exactly right, Terry. And, and I tell you, the, the tenants that were established had to do with a lot of the things that were maybe being abused or misused uh, at the onset of the, the late 1800s and early 1900s. And, and some of that had to do with market hunting and it had to do with public trust, trust doctrines and, and the management objectives of government agencies that were acting on behalf of the sportsmen and women and conservation efforts. And what I would, what I would ask the listeners is, if they're not familiar with it, to look it up, see what those tenants are, and see how that applies to each and every one of them, because it it can be interpreted differently depending on what somebody engages in, whether they're a sport fisherman. Maybe they're a photographer. Maybe they're a big game hunter, an upland bird hunter. Um, maybe they understand what the model actually is and how it relates to modern-day wildlife management. And, it, and it, it goes into the federal excise tax side of things from Pittman, Robertson, and Daniel Johnson that were established in the 1930s and 1950s. But it's important to recognize that each one of us that provide licenses, licensing fees to those organizations, uh, those entities, we're, we're the ones who make the wheels go. We're the ones who supply the grease to what those models and those tenants actually are supposed to adhere to. And as I mentioned, the assault and the attack on that is because a lot of different groups and entities and individuals don't want to see us do what we do because they think things should be done differently, but they don't have any recognition or a substitute or a suggestion on recommendations. They just think what we do is wrong, and they don't really adhere to the model in itself. So I would urge each and one of every, every one of your listeners to, to look into the model, see how that applies to you and what you can understand about it because each one is going to look at it differently. Let's talk a little bit about the, the organization. You're a 501c4 group, is that right? And that's different. Yes, you hear a lot of 501c3s, but because you're a C4, that opens you up to be a little more politically involved. Is that right? Yes, sir, that is. And, and we have to do a certain percentage of our, of our fundraising expenditures on education, and then we can do the lobbying inside of things. So we're not a tax-deductible donation organization like what you would see in some of those other groups. We don't do habitat conservation work, but we advocate on behalf of that. 
and we sustain our model under the North American model to make sure that there's legitimate representation for, for the sportsman-minded individuals of those other groups. So the C4 allows us to do that, whereas C3s can't. So most of those other organizations, their hands are tied by IRS uh, tax codes and so forth, as ours are as well. I mean, some of our things that we can and can't do because of a C4, are, there's a little bit of difference. But, but the, the point of the matter is that we need to work hand-in-hand hand with those C3s, and those C3s need to work hand-in-hand hand with C4s of like-mindedness to make sure that we all accomplish the same goals. Now you said you have you do some lobbying. Do you have full time lobbyists on the in the group? We've got three full time lobbyists representing the sportsmen and women and conservation efforts at the Capitol. We regularly interact and engage with the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission, the legislative aspect of the arm of, of government, and and we we are part of multiple coalitions and and collaborative efforts with all of those other groups. But right now, we've been the only one for the last six years that have been able to provide that lobbying representation. And we collaborate with another group that was formulated called the Colorado Wildlife Conservation Project, which is 21 different organizations that provide a, a roundtable focus group mentality to be able to help uh, guide conservation regulations and, and legislation. But the CRWM, the acronym for the Colorado for Responsible Wildlife Management, is the guiding light that actually provides that full-time lobbying representation. Yes, sir. Now, would you say your main goal or your main means of getting uh, the outcomes you're looking for in favor of the hunter and angler are based on not only getting to the sportsman, but probably even more getting to the non-sportsman? Yes, sir. Uh, a short stint of what we did last year is we provide commercials on network television. We did 1,100 commercials on network television in Southern Colorado between November 8th and December 31st last year as a pilot program for an education campaign to show the benefits of hunting and fishing and what it does for all Colorado residents and visitors alike. And we're, we're hoping to up our game at that level and move farther north into our campaign side of things. But it's, it's to promote hunting and fishing but also to go along with the mission of the organization, which is to enhance, promote, and defend the North American model of wildlife conservation and a responsible wildlife management. So, Dan, if people want to know more about the organization, is there a website they can go to? The website that we have, you can, you can look up SaveTheHuntColorado.com, and you can go to that website to get more information on the organization, the background of it, We've got some good videos of our commercials and the missions and the tenants are listed in video form, 30-second video form that, that you can look at. You can also look on YouTube and there's a Facebook channel as well like most of the other groups. We're not as technologically savvy as what we would like to be. We're looking for additional support. We're looking for additional volunteers and people that might have want to you know, put their time and effort into fighting for the cause. We're not a membership organization, Terry. I want to emphasize that. It's a structured group of individuals that are trying to provide a component and a mechanism and a conduit for all things wildlife and wildlife management that is necessary in today's landscape. Well, we're out of time, Dan, but um, I'll give that website out again and we'll podcast this. But I think people, you know, there's a lot of challenges facing the hunting community right now. And this might be something that our listeners need to get into and maybe get their non-hunting friends to take a look at. And I'll leave an open invitation as, as issues come up you think need public to address, 
um, you get a hold of me, and we'll let you come on and tell us about it. I do appreciate the opportunity, Terry, and I would encourage everybody to, to look inside their souls of what they want hunting and fishing to be in the future, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. But aim small, miss small. All right. Thanks, Dan. We will talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you, sir. You bet. So, folks, that's SaveTheHuntColorado.com. SaveTheHuntColorado.com. Speaking of hunting, we'll take a timeout. We come back, and Nate Zielinski is going to join us, and we're going to talk big game hunting right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.